We're live. I'm Michael Millerman, and this is Millerman Talks. It's my distinct privilege and pleasure today to welcome the Russian political philosopher Alexander Dugin to the show. Professor Dugin, welcome. Thank you very much. Good evening. There's so much that I'd like to talk to you about, and there's so much that I know people want to hear from you. But it seems fitting, first of all, to give you a chance to say something about a person who, from what I can tell, is so important for you and your work. Yesterday, May 26th, was the 45th anniversary of the death of Martin Heidegger. I would like you to take a moment to say who Heidegger is for you and what people should know about why he helps us to understand not only philosophy, but contemporary politics as well. So first of all, I think uh, that Heidegger, for for me, is a kind uh, a point uh, of entrance, the point of uh, uh, the kind of gate to the philosophy. Philosophy is the the world, and more than the world, it's something much more important than um, uh, the world. Because it uh, it has philosophy has in itself the world uh, entire world and more than that just as one of the possibility and Heidegger uh, has given to me personally and I think to the old of philosophically conscious uh, generation of the thinkers the kind of possibility a door to this uh, universum, philosophical universal uh, universum. So um, uh, I, I consider Heidegger, uh, as many other uh, says, uh, also as the prince of the philosophers. There is the unquestionable king of philosophers, Plato, and his legacy and his rule, his power, his intellectual uh, magnitude is a kind of uh, unprecedented and nobody could compare uh, with him. So he is in the beginning of the philosophy, at least uh, of the Western philosophy, philosophy and he is uh, the king. But, uh, and he is the beginning. And Heidegger is the prince. I think he is the second after uh, Plato and Aristotle. Plato and Aristotle, the, the th thinkers of the beginning. I think that Heidegger was the, the, the main uh, thinker of the end. And between uh, Heidegger on one hand, on one side, and Plato and Aristotle as well on the other side, there is all, all the history of the philosophical thought explicitly rendered um, in clear concepts in, uh, and words in Greek in the beginning, in German in, uh, in, the, uh, in the end. So I consider the Heidegger not just one of the philosophers. He is philosopher par excellence, uh, the thinker of, of the end of, of, of being at the, uh, in the end of time of the history. And for myself personally, he is as well one of the leading, uh, maybe the more important access to understanding of everything, understanding of everything inside of politics and by extension, understanding of everything else because everything else 
depends from philosophy. Philosophy is um, just a kind of paradigm of everything, of knowledge, of man, of politics, of society, of anthropology, of cosmology, of, uh, of physics, of metaphysics. Everything uh, has its, its roots and its, uh, its sources uh, inside of uh, philosophy. And Heidegger is uh, God of, of this philosophical um, philosophical uh, universe in precisely in the time of the end uh, and the eschatological moment of the uh, history of being, Zeinsgeschichte. Now, many of the people who will be watching this with an interest in philosophy and political theory will wonder, I think, how for you Heidegger and Plato, besides being philosophers par excellence, can coexist as models for your political understanding. If, after all, there's a fundamental tension, or so it seems, between how they think about the nature of philosophical life and the character of political Platonism on one hand, or Platonic political philosophy on one hand, and a Heideggerian approach to politics that wants to overcome and go through the dark night, come out the other side, have another beginning. So to give you an example that I know some of the people watching will be able to relate to, Leo Strauss, a figure who's very important to me, he sought to understand the crisis of the West and the crisis of Western civilization. And like you, to a certain extent, he went with Heidegger back to Plato and Aristotle Heidegger gave him access to Plato and Aristotle, but he felt that we need to stop with Plato, so to speak, or recover a more complete understanding of Plato than we've had before. Whereas Heidegger himself, it seems, tries to go beyond Plato, to overcome Plato, to put Plato into his position in a history of being that Plato himself doesn't share or grasp in that way. So how do you see the relationship between the fundamental incompatibility, if there is one, between Heidegger and Plato? and its meaning for your political theory and political thinking? Formally, I would say um, there is obviously, for the people uh, knowing at least a small pieces of the thought of the work of Martin Heidegger is clear that he was very critical toward Plato. He has dedicated to this criticism of Plato um, the main, 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 main amount of his writings, he followed Nietzsche in that. He understood very well uh, why Nietzsche was anti-Platonist and anti-Christian by, uh, by extension, because Nietzsche and Heidegger repeated that, considered Christianity to be the Platonism for the masses. Uh, so it is obvious, obvious uh, on the surface that there is a kind of opposition between Platonism uh, and uh, Heideggerian um, uh, opposition and the philosophy. But, but there is a, some interesting point. So we could speak about that. That is really important from many angles, from many perspectives. For first of all, maybe not most important but uh, i think it's very uh, uh, it is um um that is uh, uh one of the certain uh, central point in understanding uh, of the relation and correlation between uh, between plato and heidegger 
it is precisely that before to exist in the philosophy, because to be inside of philosophical universe, we need to a point of access, we need to enter. And um, it is not so easy. It is totally, totally closed uh, fortress, uh, castle, a philosophical castle without doors. And the, the main, main, main task of the beginning, uh, beginner uh, in the philosophy is to resolve this apparent uh, contradiction how to get inside of the castle where there is no room, uh, no, no door, uh, where, where there is no door, there is no accesses. So you need to uh, enter something that is totally hermetically closed. So that is interesting point. So, and that, that is not banal problem. And I consider that Heidegger in our time, in our moment of the history of the being, is precisely this paradoxal entrance. He shows us there is no access in the traditional way to the castle because traditional doors, traditional gates are closed. Uh, uh, they don't exist anymore. So they are just painted on the wall. Uh, they, we could not enter through them. They are, they are simulacrum of, of the gates and, and the doors. They just painted painted object on the totally impermeable uh, walls of the philosophical uh, castle. So uh, that is important because in the place where the Logos in the Platonic uh, or Nous in the Platonic uh, meaning was, there is nothing. So there is no, no, no traditional possibility to enter in the temple of the philosophy because uh, we, we have lost the horizon, we have lost the sight of it. So we just just uh, just um, have hallucinations pretending to, to, to deal with the philosophy, but there is no more philosophy, there is no more being because we have forgotten the being and dealing with Logos. We are dealing with something else, we are dealing with nothing. So first of all, Heidegger uh, teaches us uh, to, to, to get into, into the uh, heart of the reality. If there is, there is no Logos, a platonic logos, if it is forgotten, if it is destroyed, if, if God is dead, no reason to pretend he is still alive. The God, the logos, the transcendental um, metaphysical dimension of the being is destroyed by modernity, is totally, totally forgotten by all the phases of this uh, modern part of uh, history of being. And that is the main truth. There is no God. Uh, that is the main truth. There is just nothing. And uh, all the pretension not to remark that, to affirm that everything is quite all right and we have traditional way to access, for example, a platonical, platonic temple or, or castle, it is all false. And Heidegger, in the, in the tragical way, as well as Nietzsche, in the, as well in the tragic way, they have stress emphasized this impossibility. So there is something in, in, inside of being itself, 
that was hidden that was that was um uh, um, uh, left us that that, that uh, has abandoned us as well as we have abandoned uh, the being so there is mutual process not only uh, people's uh, culture um, humanity has forgotten or killed the god and in some way god has uh, forgotten humanity and not only we have lost the sight of being being itself has lost the sign of us so that is mutual that is a kind of divorce so we are uh, we are not on the same on the same wave with being we are outside and uh, being is outside as well and that is the tragedy of of present moment, nihilistic mo moment of the philosophy. And I think the Heidegger is very, very sincere in that. He, he, he could not tolerate to say uh, things metaphysically um, unverified. And his experience, most, um, the deepest experience of philosophy, of questioning of being, um has shown to him that there is nothing so uh, around us we are living in in the center uh, of, of the nothing uh, and that is why traditional response the, the kind of uh, platonic response that there is always being in the center or above uh, this uh, world of becoming was becoming was not enough but Precisely with this, uh, um, with this negation of Plato, we are, we can, with Heidegger, enter in the philosophy because with affirmation of Plato, we could not get there. There is not the chance. The prince of uh, of the philosophy, uh, the prince among philosophers, he guards the only one access to the um, cosmos of, of, of the wisdom left to us. And that is very cruel and brutal access. It is the kind of gate of nothing, the gate of abyss. That um, is the only way to, to get inside of this castle. And that is not glorification of Plato, as if nothing has happened. Something has happened with being with us, with the history. And Heidegger is a kind of testimony. His witness of uh, this something has happened. Something went wrong. He tried to discover when it uh, uh, it went wrong. From one uh, what a point uh, it went wrong, and and his. His uh, response is paradoxical. The, 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 uh, uh, everything went wrong from very beginning. The beginning is a kind of guilty. The guilt is on the beginning. So the end is embedded in the beginning, and the, the beginning is the beginning of the end. And we are living in the, at the end of the end of the beginning. And hence, we could transform this tragic affirmation of the uh, ending end of the first beginning into the new beginning and heidegger um, didn't didn't just discard uh, metaphysics he tried to to establish metaphysics in the concrete phenomenological experience in existence so metaphysics uh, should be 
uh, uh, a life should be living thing, living creature, living uh, entity uh, for him, living living being, and so uh, and that is fundamental. His project of creation of of fundamental uh, ontology, not negation, just nihilistic negation of ontology, but putting in the center uh, of the attention, metaphysical attention, the necessity to rediscover uh, transcendental metaphysical ontological dimension where it uh, wasn't... uh, a search uh, where uh, nobody uh, had idea to to look uh, uh, in in order to to to, to seek uh, and to find it. So, in outside of traditional limits of the platonically organized philosophical universe, Heidegger tried to discover to find this the, 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 this uh, fundamental ontology. His version of a new beginning and i think that is why precisely as you have said uh, uh, it um, knowledge of the heidegger was a leading path to the plato not only for uh, leo strauss but as well for the thinker and philosopher that i consider to be one of the greatest minds of the 20th century for Henri corben that is interesting. Henri Corbin, who was the first translator of the, the parts of the Zainon site into the French, and he was uh, he was in a kind of disciple of uh, of pupil of Heidegger. He was at the same time Heideggerian, and that has defined his phenomenological approach to the study of Islamic tradition and above all of. Uh, uh, Islamic esoterism, Iranian esoterism, and mystical part of the Islamic tradition, but as well, he was totally and radically Platonic. So, uh, for people who enter with Heidegger and through Heidegger and with the help of Heidegger inside of universal philosophy, there is no tra- contradiction between prince and the king. Prince is other than king, but uh, they are not. Uh, they don't. They, they don't belong to the two um, totally contradictory camps. They belong to the same universe. And uh, Plato is the philosopher of the beginning, and the Heidegger is the philosopher of end. Between them, there is a kind of tie. Maybe not so evident if we consider only formal surface of the things, but we could feel it. Getting inside of all the all the universe of Heideggerianism. So you've placed Heidegger at the heart of your project of the fourth political theory. That comes across from what you've said here, as well as Plato. From what you've said here, from what you write in your books, and from your many volumes on Heidegger and lectures and presentations on Plato as well. So I want to ask you. It's been about ten years plus or minus, since your book, The Fourth Political Theory, came out in English. It's been about nine years. And I think in Russian, it came out 2009. And that seems to have injected the idea of a Heideggerian and Platonic solution to the problem of contemporary liberalism right at the center of things for you to a large public audience. Can you reflect on what that 
time has been like for you since the publication of the fourth political theory, both in English and in Russian, because you've been at the center of many developments in geopolitics and politics and ideology in philosophy, of course, with your lecture courses. And I would like to just know from you, how do you see the accomplishments of the fourth political theory project so far? How does it stand today in your view? And what are its prospects and its challenges moving forward? So first of all, I think that uh, force political theory, we could not measure by the classical uh, public relations uh, uh, measures. So it is not about success. It is not about promotion. It's not about the numbers of copies sold or uh, great um, the, the, the number of years. So I think that from this point of view, the, the, my books, my, my, my texts on fourth political theory are not too successful because, but at the same time, uh, quantitative um, measures we could, um, for example, uh, recall here, it, this book is translated almost in um, all, all languages, in the European languages, in Eastern languages, in Turk, in Arab, in, uh, in uh, Persian, in all, almost all European languages, and published not by my, uh, my own efforts, but by the interests that provoked interest provoked by the text, by the idea. So that is... Yeah, there's been a very enthusiastic, spontaneous reception in the right circles. That's what it seems like. Um, that's, that was the case when I first became acquainted with your text. You and I had no previous communication before then. There was no Eurasian mission or arm of the Eurasian youth movement. It was just ideas that resonated to help and helped me to make sense of the world I was in philosophically and politically. And it seems like that's been happening every, everywhere. You have readers and groups in Iran and Brazil who are picking up the work in this way. So I just wanted to point out that spontaneous reception is an interesting phenomenon. Yes, the, the it was absolutely spontaneous. I didn't make any efforts in order artificially to, to, to push that. That was precisely, as you have said, that was a kind of spontaneous interest provoked by the meaning of the ideas, not by the form of presentation. The main idea of force political theory corresponded to something that everybody uh, uh, waited for. And that is why uh, it, uh, it's, it has spread uh, um, around the world. For example, in all the Latin America now, there are in all countries, without no exception, including in the, in the smallest countries, of Latin America now are groups, maybe um, limited groups, maybe some sometimes very large group uh, groups of people uh, who are um, who are very uh, enthusiastic in uh, uh, promotion and developing and studying force political theory. There are also, for example, not only in Latin America and Italy. Um, the people, um, most of all young people interested in that, already ha have put uh, uh, the course and the curriculum uh, in the curricula and the normal education and the master program uh, studying of first political history, uh, theory, its arguments, its weak and strong points. So that, that begins to be 
institutionalized already. But all that uh, is on the relative or relative small scale. There are every, everywhere, there are groups, everywhere there are people who are interested. But um, at the same time, it is not like uh, capital of Marx. It's just, it's, it's, it is comparable with the beginning of, of the Marxism, where there were some uh, socialist, communist uh, group exchanging the ideas, but not... Uh, uh, not uh, yet uh, the full-scale work, uh, worker-class movement for political theory, but it is coming in, in that, that direction. But what is interesting, who has appreciated really forced political theory, uh, that were liberals. So liberals has taken the challenge of forced political theory very seriously from very beginning, from the first formulations because they have seen in that the real danger so they they started immediately censor uh cancel demonizing uh, demonize it so they began the huge campaign of demonization of myself of forced political theory and against the clear logical almost mathematical explanation that fourth political theory, it is not third political theory, it is not fascism in no way, uh, or mm, new reivindication of the nationalism or something like that. It is totally different uh, um, frame because it is absolutely critical toward nationalism, toward socialism and toward liberalism. So, uh, and ag against that, because uh, liberals have no space in their theoretical field of knowledge for something that could be anti-liberal and forced political the theory is anti-liberal, but not communist, neither neither communist nor fascist. Uh, uh, it, that, that provoked a kind of um, a collapse on psychotic, psychotic uh, uh, catastrophe. Uh, so I think that is about something psychological and deep psychology of liberals. They have no place. They ha they didn't reserve the place for something like that. And when something like that appears, they they are in panic. So the forced political theory is the moment of panic for the serious liberal establishment, and they have reacted against forced political theory as if it was, for example, uh, Third Reich already established Stalinist empire with my ideas in the case of Putin already in the place. So they, they started to react as if this small, uh, small amount of philosophical concepts are already have already uh, been re fulfilled, realized on the full scale as a civilizational phenomenon. So reaction was huge. Amazon uh, refused to uh, to to sell uh, uh, forced political theory. My uh, YouTube account, my uh, uh, Twitter account, all everything was totally destroyed 
precisely for for no criminal action for no uh, advocate uh, uh, for no advocate advocating for something racially hatred so i am mostly feminist i am humanist i am in favor absolutely uh, absolute freedom of of the human of human person so uh, i have nothing criminal inside my writing and some very criminal writing cir are circulating freely uh, on, on, in all this uh, uh, media, but my innocent theor theoretical, philosophical uh, teaching, le uh, lecturing, uh, uh, and texts—they uh, are cancelled. They are censored in a very uh, severe uh, way. And at the same time, I, I don't represent neither Putin nor some serious political movements, no party, nor, nor country. I represent ideas. And I think uh, my most, uh, most uh, um, serious, interesting, and deep, uh, and deep uh, readers and followers are liberals. They are really frightened, and that is why I'm called by them the most dangerous philosopher. And they repeat and repeat and repeat, not only for some political purposes. Now, they, they could not hit nobody with this. That's totally, totally useless to continue that. But they still, uh, still use that, 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 uh, that name that I consider to be correct. But I, I am very grateful for liberals for the recognition of the real uh, uh, meaning, a real dimension of my thought, and that helps to to spread force political theory with this total and radical demonization uh, in the in the Western liberal world. That helps to spread the ideas and to get to to India to to more, the, the the last corners of. of, of of, of the worlds where they are growing, for example, in, in Indonesia, in Malaysia, in, um, in, in different parts of, 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 of the world, there are groups of people more and more and more interested in forced political theory because uh, forced political theory is uh, um, a kind of radical criticism of every, everything liberal, but with clear and radical rejection of communism and fascism. All form of communism and socialism and all form of nationalism and uh, uh, fascism and racism, racism above all. I really hate racism. I think that we could not create a kind of hierarchy between societies, cultures, peoples, and we, we, we should scientifically uh, accept this difference without creating hierarchy. That is my one of the main points of my of my political and philosophical attitude, and that may be difference with Heidegger as well. So I, I mm -hmm. strongly believe in a pluriversal uh, structure of, of the human cultures. About the liberal reception of your book, there's so much there that's, and not just about your book, but about the idea of the fourth political theory and the associated ideas. It's amazing because a lot of people come to me and ask me about you. I have done a lot of work on your thought. I've translated many of your books, published about you. And so it's natural that when people want to learn more about you, in some cases, they come and talk to me about it. And 
when I tell people the basic idea or when they're first introduced to the most elementary presentation of the fourth political theory as neither liberal nor communist nor fascist or as anti-liberal, but also anti-liberal, uh, also anti-fascist and anti-communist, there's two responses. For some people, it's an instant o- awakening moment that there can possibly be something to think about that is neither liberal, communist, nor fascist. And some people have the response you wrote about in your book that they want to open a bottle of champagne to celebrate the discovery of new possibilities. I had a conversation like that just yesterday. And for other people, the conversation stops there. The anti-liberalism is absolutely the sticking point. The immediate recourse to the accusation that you're a communist or a fascist or a national Bolshevist or Red Brown or everything else you can imagine gets imposed on that model. And what's so incredible to me is that that is just even though it's a powerful and profound idea, there's so much more going on in the fourth political theory than that. And the conversation very rarely gets down into all of the substantive, philosophical, ethno-sociological, theological, mystical in some sense, phenomenological aspects of your thought, which is a whole undiscovered territory. It's incredible what's there. And yet we are at the point in the discourse with academics and with cultural critics and with intellectuals that only the very first idea is the sticking point, either for or against. So it's just an amazing thing to observe. I was at the University of Toronto doing my PhD, as you know, and as some of the listeners know, when I had four committee members resign largely over my work on your thought. Now, they were all liberals, let's say, and none of them had any interest in your phenomenological readings of Aristotle. They were not aware of any such courses. They didn't know that you have books on structural sociology on Gilbert Durant. They didn't know and they didn't care because it was enough to say anti-liberal. That's it. Automatically, end of story, no more discussion, which in academic circles is really, in my mind, amazing. It, you captured something about the structural poverty and the structural possibilities of ideological and philosophical discourse. So it's a truly amazing situation. And the fact that you've been banned from YouTube, it really deprived serious students of your thought of easy access to your lectures on phenomenology. I tell everybody about your course on the phenomenological readings of Aristotle because I thought it was so good and about other things that you work on. So how do you, how are you experiencing this technological lockdown of modes of education? And I mean, being shut off YouTube is a big one because here we are talking, but your whole channel, which had hours and hours and tens of hours and probably hundreds of hours of lecture material was just (laughs) canceled. So what do you see as the possibilities for education moving forward, both in academia and in independent institutions of learning, online institutions of learning? And in general, what for you is the role of education and the meaning of the educator? Because I know that's a big part of what what you do and what you defend. Uh, We could could, um, divide um, your questions in some groups. First of all, I like uh, the first point of your speech, uh, where you have said that uh, the, the, the main, uh, the main uh, problem it is precisely in the possibility to accept uh, something that could exist outside of capital uh, of liberalism and as well outside of two um, modern European alternatives, historical alternatives in the field of 
political theory uh, to this, to liberalism and the uh, modernity, fascism and uh, socialism. So that is the a point, very important point, I think, that is the ma main point of first political theory. Uh, it is a point of access, that is the gate, that is the door. So precisely, some people can enter and they, if they enter, they are in the totally new universe, in totally new balance of the uh, of the ideas, of the concepts, of the theories, of the attitudes, uh, of the paradigms, uh, or of the terms, of the scientific processes, of, in totally different realm. Realm. They they are in a different world. Is the the world of the fourth political theory that's just begin with this uh, invitation. If you receive, if you accept uh, everybody, every uh, reader of fourth political theory, of uh, any people who uh, addresses you or yourself or the other people who uh, represent some fundamental and uh, long-standing interest for such kind of ideas, that is the moment, the mo most important moment, the kind of initiation and the, uh, um, and, and the ethno-anthropological, uh, uh, ethno ethnological tradition, initiation, or, or you enter or you get out, or you stay out. So if you enter, you are in totally new, new uh, reality, where the uh, not only liberal dogmas cease to exist, but all philosophical tradition of the modernity, starting from the nominalism, starting from from maybe uh, uh, ancient uh, Greek atomism, starting from Epicurus, starting from uh, Lucretius, Carr, uh, starting from naturalist, atomist, materialist, nominalist, individualist tendency in the Western, uh, Western culture, uh, all that and all the dogmas of modern science, uh, except maybe the last development of the postmodern science, that is the, uh, uh, another question, but the, all, all the universe of the modernity is collapsed immediately on the other side of the gate, of the gate of the fourth political theory. That is important, important experience. And people who get out, who say, oh no, that, that should be just, uh, just uh, uh, hidden fascism or kind of uh, form the, the new form of revanchism of Russian imperialist nationalist and so on, that, that is the Putin's uh, propagandist trick and so on, they, they are serious. They, they feel the, 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 the fear. They feel the real angst. They feel uh, existential uh, danger there because coming a little uh, further, uh, uh, coming through the gates of, of uh, forced political theory, uh, 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 continuing my, my metaphor uh, with Heidegger. So I, I'm staying uh, in front of the painted door on the totally closed and, uh, uh, wall that seems to be impenetrable, uh, so very solid. 
And I uh, invite the people, let's try. It is not uh, just wall. Let's try. You don't see uh, the real door. You don't see the gate. But try. Let's try to get through. And you will discover uh, other other dimension. And only only brave or desperate ones, they, they accept that and they discover on the other side that that is really so that is the door and not nothing ends here uh, in this point everything uh, on this strong uh, this whole uh, um uh, this uh, threshold threshold everything begins but in other way without some uh, radical dogmatism that is left uh, on this side of, of the wall. So that is uh, invitation to to to, uh, to make a leap, metaphysical, uh, philosophical leap through this door, through this wall, and get inside of totally new universe. So that is, I think, the most important uh, important uh, thing. Not only uh, uh, who are in uh, in agreement with fourth political theory. It is not just some radical. Far-right uh, thinkers at, at, at times there are like them. There are sometimes and more and more in the in the uh, recent time uh, far-left thinkers they discover fourth political theory with great astonishment for them. Some anarchists, some atypical uh, atypical um, political or ideological philosophical figures, or maybe those who who tried from before force political theory to unite far left and far right. There is as well this national Bolshevist field or group of, 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 of people. But that is not so important with what they start to enter in the fourth political uh, theory. Much more important, as you, as you have justly said and emphasized, what, be, what is uh, beyond the, the entrance, beyond the, the gates, because there is re, uh, rediscovery of all uh, history of uh, Western uh, and not only Western human thought, because we could uh, uh, we could uh, get access to totally new uh, reading of all the authors, all the schools, all the tendencies that we already thought as something granted. So, for example, what can we say new about Brentano or Husserl or phenomenology? It seems that everything is already said. But if you enter in the, this metaphysical, marvelous uh, kind of uh, magic gate of fourth political theory, you could uh, uh, start from the from the beginning. Everything is unknown with Brentano, Husserl, or Heidegger, or or, or, or Gestalt psychology, Gestalt uh, uh, vision, or, or uh, Alexius Meinong. It seemed before that uh, we, we we knew everything, but what we knew was totally dominated, but by only one. Uh, paradigm by liberal paradigm by modern paradigm. If we pass through the, this uh, gate, we could re-read 
all the authors, <coughs> all the school, we could find a new, our own, uh, our own identity in the uh, Western philosophy and outside of it. And education, what is about education? I think now education, liberal education is something like purely totalitarian um, censorship. As I, I, I have uh, experienced in the Soviet time, uh, Soviet Union, because everything we dealt with in the education at the Soviet time were totally uh, uh, impregnated by, uh, by communist uh, ideology. Every word was used in only in one sense and the context and the use and the forms and the and the concepts and the theory everything should agree with the main ideological principles of communism and now something like that is with liberal education it is radically totalitarian more and more every every day uh, it is totally intolerant because if you don't agree with their understanding of tolerance you are fascist immediately you are censored you are cancelled and so on dante is cancelled hegel is cancelled everything not liberal is cancelled but liberalism of the first stage as well is cancelled i think heidegger soon uh, no heidegger um uh, von hayek soon will be considered nazi and german racist and something uh, uh hayek who was one of the founding father of neoliberalism uh, with his uh, with evolution from him from Hayek to Popper and from Popper to Soros we have totally uh, uh, total uh, transformation uh, of mutation uh, of liberalism starting from the normal high bro or um, aristocratic uh, liberalism von Hayek to this rabid uh, uh, full of hatred to uh, everybody who disagrees form of uh, uh, Soros uh, uh left totalitarian liberalism that that is communist i think i presume by historical uh studies that in uh, uh national socialist germany as well there was the kind of uh, ideological uh, censorship uh, and now liberal censorship in our time it is something like that so education uh, it is not something that uh, is independent. Education translates, as Foucault has said, a kind of power, the code of power. And liberals are very, very conscious and very, very, uh, very, very uh, responsible they, they, for to take this code of power that is uh, education in their uh, bit, between their teeth, not in the hands. So they are as as angry wild beasts who who take uh, education uh, and their uh, and their um, teeth uh, uh, and their and because that, that is precisely uh, that is the fun, fundamental aspect fundamental base of their rule so i think uh, purely that uh, forced political theory as the gate to the alternative uh, is as well a kind of uh, uh, educational war, the war of the for the open education, uh, for the war uh, for anti-dogmatic, anti-totalitarian way of education. And I think that we need to promote any kind of alternative 
form of education, alternative in front of what liberal impose on us. So, uh, and at the same time, there is very interesting uh, thing. We have started our conversation with the image that uh, where the logos of Platonian logos of Plato, uh, logos of Plato was, Heidegger has discovered the abyss, the nothing, the black hole, and not uh, the temple of the logos. So I think uh, something like that, but in the in the different in different proportions and different measures, we could say about uh, about modern educational system. Uh, this educational system, the more is controlled uh, by liberals, less it educates uh, anything. So, uh, and more it creates the kind of ignorant perverted from the uh, early age um, persons with no human freedom anymore. They, that is program, programming and not education. That is transformation of human beings into the robots, liberal robots. And after that, there will be logical and natural replacement of, of them. But in order to get the rule, the, the power to the robots. We need to transform the human being into the robots. And that is the main goal of liberal education. So robotization is already here with digitalization, with cyber system. And COVID helps to this, uh, to this dehumanization process by, by the chance, maybe, maybe that's just natural coincidence. But uh, it is, it uh, is inscribed in the logic of this. Uh, this uh, uh, destruction of the ties uh, between humans. So dehumanization, that is the goal. It is not just uh, just result. It is the goal. And I think that education, it is not about, uh, uh, or not uh, 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 as, as before, just of tra to translate the culture. Now we could not translate the culture because liberals, they have, they have, taken the, the culture away. They have not only censored a culture, they, they try to, to destroy the culture. So they have stolen the culture and they uh, insist on their uh, education that uh, uh, not create, uh, uh, no, uh, no more create a kind of persons, of cultural persons, that is the mass destruction. I think uh, the modern educational liberal system is genocide of, of the human spirit, of the human nature, and that is why we should fight for alternatives. So we should be consider ourselves as educational partisans. So as the uh, partisans of uh, in, in the Russian first um, patriotic war against Napoleon, that was uh, sung by uh, Leo Tolstoy. Uh, this this power of oh Carl Schmidt, who has dedicated to the figure of partisan, uh, his uh, very famous one last it seems to me last book, uh, the figure of partisan. We are edu partisans of education, and we are under co co uh, constant attacks, deplatforming, canceling, uh, many threats. To, to be get out from uh, educational institutions, but we we need to still still continue uh, the this uh, educational war of, of the last humans uh, fighting to to not only to conserve or, or to save 
our cultural roots, but to restore them and to declare the war against the civilization of the end uh, in, uh, in the name of the civilization of the new beginning. Amazing presentation of the importance of education. The liberal war against a genuine education is clearly evident from the youngest age of childhood indoctrination up through the institutions of academia and after in the corporate and professional world as well, where you have kind of re-education camps into post-liberal ideology. It's an amazing thing. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've done that's less known in English. So you've had Fourth Political Theory published, some other books, but from what I saw in your bibliography, you have 40, 50 books, not including the No Omachia series of 24 volumes. And I was wondering if you could take the opportunity to say a little bit about, obviously not each of them, but maybe the early works like Paths of the Absolute, Metaphysics of the Gospel, and any works that you think are particularly important to you, but not very well known to an English speaking audience, or anything from that undiscovered territory of your other books that you'd like to share? So it is, as you have said, uh, it is a quite, a quite a, a, a big field of interest. Um, so uh, I am very, very happy that my uh, scientific work, uh, ethno-sociology, is translated by you and published in the United States. That is great, great step because it shows that my uh, my interests is, uh, are not limit, limited by politics or maybe Heideggerian vision or anti-liberalism. So in, in my uh, ethno-sociological uh, work, I have uh, dedicated uh, my efforts to study of the, of the types of the society, starting from the uh, most, uh, most simple ones and to the most complicated, complex uh, once has a global society and so on, trying to, to define some rules, some codes of each uh, of this, of this kind of form of society basing on, on the works and the theories of well, many authors, many schools. Uh, so it is uh, known, uh, No Machia is a great project that I have finished in Russia at only the translation in other languages it, uh, it just started that is about now Mahia it uh, um, is a kind of um, idea I could say some words about that so when I uh, I, I had idea uh, following Heidegger precisely following Heidegger in his criticism of Plato I uh, I had idea to 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 sub, to propose uh, non-Platonic, non-Apollinian reading of some philosophical phenomena, uh, phenomena in the Western and partly Eastern uh, thought. And uh, so I have written, uh, so I have written a book uh, in the search of the Dark Logos. That is the zero volume of No Machia. Everything No Machia started from that. My idea was precisely that. Uh, let us try to 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 make uh, phenomenological or Dionysian reading of Hege, Hegel, Schelling, uh, and uh, other uh, Dionysian reading of Neoplatonism as well. Dionysian, everything Dionysian was welcome in this book, 
And uh, I, I called that dark logos, not Apollinian, alternative logos, logos, existential logos, not essential, logos im of immanence, not of transcendence. So for, uh, that was a kind of uh, um, application of Heideggerian uh, uh, invitation to, to, to create some kind of fundamental ontology, ontology uh, uh, whose roots are clearly seen and perceived in the existential moment and the design uh, without making uh, making the rupture, making this uh, kind of break be be between existential uh, experience and metaphysics. So I've tried to 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 degage, to to um, uh, to fix, to find the shape and form and terms to describe this dark logos and. Uh, going uh, this way, I have discovered that under concept of Dionysian, uh, Dionysus, of the Logos of Dionysus, of Dionysian Logos, there was two totally irreductible, totally irreducible, totally separated form of, of, of thought, of, of feeling, of uh, metaphysical and existential and intuitive uh, approach to reality. Two different things. And uh, that was how I have discovered the black logos. That was not dark logos of Dionysus, but uh, I, I have called it the logos of Sibylle. Sibylle, great mother of the Phrygian, Phrygian uh, tradition. So that was the the beginning of all the project of 2024 20, volumes of Noomachia because discovering this third logos, all this dualism between Apollo and Dionysus was transformed in the three elements, Apollo, Dionysus and Sibylle. And Sibylle and Dionysus were not the same because Dionysus was the uh, son of the midnight and the Sibylle was the midnight but uh, one thing is to be the son of the midnight and the other uh, thing is to be the night so uh, they are close because there is no sun in the midnight there is no sun that is anti-sun uh, in some way Dionysus but still it is the same sun that appears uh, in the beginning of the morning uh, on, uh, on the sky. So that is something Apollinian that is inside of Dionysus. And that is the difference between the day and night. And the sun links day at night, shining in the day and hiding in the night. But uh, there is difference between uh, who is hiding and where uh, is hiding, who is hiding. And this, this last difference between who is hiding and where is hiding, who is hiding. That is precisely the difference between uh, dark logos and black logos. And starting from this point, I have developed the concept of three logos, three logoi, in Greek, logi, logoi. Uh, and uh, I have I've started to apply these um, three three archetypes, three main main form of logos to different tradition, from to Indo-European, Western, Eastern, archaic complex with theology, without theology, uh, to all kind of societies uh, described 
uh, as a typology in ethnosociology. And I have uh, come to uh, fantastic conclusions and results. All that is presented in, in uh, uh, this book because I have discovered in all civilizations, in all cultures, all three logoi, three logos. That was fantastic because normally we, we, we think this uh, culture is more uh, logos of Apollo, this culture is more uh, Dionysian and we ignore uh, Cybele. And so we have very, we have very poor uh, schematization of the civilization, of culture, of history, of the time, of space, of anthropology. And if we uh, if we, uh, use three logoi and if we consider them to be immanent to any culture and any ethnos, we could describe much more correctly many uh, dynamical uh, transformations inside of these cultures and these civilizations, not necessary with uh, external uh, challenge or external uh, intervention. There could be inner inherent transformation that we could uh, explain by this uh, dramatic and um, agonistic, uh, agonic um, uh, co uh, coexistence of these three logos. And that was uh, for me, uh, above all, not only for Western societies, but for African societies, tribes, ethnic groups, and kind of cultures they have constructed uh, um, in, in Africa, that was the huge amount of uh, of richness of, of the results. So, uh, in, in, uh, in, in spite of some uh, homogeneous black sub-Saharan uh, African population, I have discovered the worlds, the cosmos, not only one cosmos, but many cosmos with different balance of different logos in each tradition. That was the real discovery. And I have dedicated to African logos two volumes of this Nomahe, just to, to make some examples of what Nomahe is. It is uh, seriously very, very, very interesting, uh, uh, interesting um, uh, adventure for myself, intellectual, metaphysical adventure of study of civilizations inside, uh, on the other side of liberal, Eurocentric, uh, materialist and uh, racist, the European modern uh, vision of the same thing. It is just uh, pan-humanism, I would call that. Three logos, uh, they, uh, that is the, uh, I, I think, the more, mm, more normal way to, to, to study, uh, to, to explore the diversity and pluralism and richness of human societies. They are different, they are not the same, and the difference that their identity is the more precious aspect of them and that we should guard, that we should uh, cultivate, that we should defend. In that sense, I, I, am, I am following the, the, the line of Levi-Strauss Levi or uh, Franz Boas. That is about uh, Noamahia. It is a kind of application of anthropological principle of, of Boas or uh, Levi-Strauss to these civilizations with the help started uh, explored with the help of concepts of three logos. That is more or less 
all about that. And the, in the in the early among early uh, early writings, I uh, in my uh, youth in the in the first youth. Uh, uh, about 20 when I was 20 I have uh, I have written the book dedicated more or less to radical subject because I was uh, very moved by this by this concept I didn't publish it uh, because it is not, not too uh, much mature it is a little bit childish rom too romantic in my eyes but uh, I continue to develop the the concept of radical subjects through all my writings and I have dedicated to it uh, to radical subject my book so because ideas they live in other at other speed than human experience some thought demands uh, destiny or maybe hundreds of years centuries to be thought through it, it is not about uh, about the the, um, the hurry we some some thoughts uh, come immediately uh, and uh, uh, you are in total possess of all their possible uh, implications and ramifications already present and some other thoughts are along thoughts that you need to dedicate many time to to, to think them uh, carefully and uh, in a responsible way maybe more than one human life that is why there are some schools of philosophy one starts uh, the other continues. Finally, maybe the, the the continuators could get to conclusion, or maybe uh, went astray. Astray to, to maybe we, we can um, easily as well uh, lose the, the path of of the thought. It's very very uh, very um, very thin, very delicate uh, destiny of the thought. So some thoughts uh, are. I'm thinking through all through all my life. Uh, some I consider to be uh, immediately uh, solved uh, in their presentation. Uh, and uh, for example, the path of absolutes that is just explanation to the Russian that was written uh, at the end of the eighties. That was the first book dedicated to explanation exposition of René Guénon thoughts that is more or less more or less uh, um, uh, the explanation of uh, uh, man and his becoming according to Vedanta the book of René Guénon with some uh, parts the last chapter is dedicated to eschatological eschatological aspect not too much developed in Guénon, uh, in Guénon but uh, that was in the center of Henri Corbin's uh, philosophy. That is about path of absolute as well as the hidden agenda of coming closer and closer to the topic of radical subject. I didn't manage to, to introduce this concept in the path of absolute, but uh, uh, that demanded 20 years more or uh, 10 years more. And uh, metaphysic of uh, good news, it is a kind of application of the first to say, first effort to first intention to applicate Genonian concept and metaphysic to Orthodox Christianity. I'm not too, too, too happy with the results, but that was the, the first. Uh, uh, first step: how to how to uh, describe uh, Christian Orthodox uh, uh, 
tradition, metaphysics, dogmatic, theology with Genonian terms. And, uh, and as well, I have put the problem in some moment they contradict uh, to each other. Genon and uh, Orthodox uh, Christianity. And from this moment, when I have finished this book, I was uh, convinced that personally, I am always, uh, I'm always preferring Orthodox uh, Christianity with immense respect to Genon. Not against Genon, but with an immense admiration uh, and recognition of total authority uh, of Genon, but um, reserving the right not to be in accordance, not to agree with everything he has said. And uh, when some more radical contradiction about, for example, the nature of Jesus Christ um, uh, concerns in that in that moment in other uh, theological dogmatical point I I have uh, seriously decided to stay strong uh, in my tradition in Christian Orthodoxy um, in spite of very seducing the thesis of. Rene Genon. And uh, I have dedicated some book on the uh, light, um, uh, easy, uh, easy topics like, like uh, pop culture and the science of time, uh, where I have proposed some uh, hermeneutical reading of the popular Russian uh, pop culture music, very uh, very special, very bad, I would say, or maybe awful uh, uh, pop music of liberal Russia. But I've tried to to, to see through this uh, idiotism a kind of um, a science uh, science of time uh, uh, in Genonian sense. That is uh, eschatological reading of. Um, estrada of uh, pop pop music. Uh, that was a little bit ironic, I would say, but not too much. Uh, uh, and I have dedicated, as well as you know, uh, obviously many books, not only two or three, about 10 books to geopolitics, to geopolitical thought, to geopolitical philosophy, and as well, I have uh, translated some uh, books or articles of my favorite um, favorite uh, authors of Genon, of Evelo, of, of Heidegger, uh, of Carl Schmitt, uh, uh, of uh, Louis Dumont, of uh, Georges de Mézil, or um, Eurasianism. As well, I have dedicated to Eurasianism uh, some works because Eurasianism. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, political philosophy more or less uh, comparable with everything that I admire in, in the uh, in the Western and the Western tradition. So I hope everybody got a sense from that of what it is to be a productive thinker working in all of these areas that are of interest to you. Now I have a couple of additional questions about some of what you said. I hope you have a bit more time to um, devote to this conversation. One is that you've used a lot of mystical type symbols and metaphors about crossing a threshold, about initiation. And even in your book on the dark logos, there's a study of mystics of various traditions. And I get the sense from what I've heard about the radical subject that 
it also has something along the lines of a mystical initiatory experience itself. So how do you see mysticism? Do you regard yourself as a mystic? Is that an adequate category with which to think about where you're coming from? And was there some moment for you that lies beneath all of these other insights, intuitions, and discoveries, some breakthrough insight that everything else is in the service of or in search for? Have you had, how do you see that issue of mysticism, the mystical experience, and its relationship to your work? So first of all, I consider the mysticism as one of legitimate form of human culture and human thought. More than that, I uh, don't like to, to, to regard mysticism as something completely separated from rationality, because when we ask ourselves, when we start to explore the roots of our rationality, we are coming to very special, very, uh, very unexpected solutions, because uh, as uh, is clear in the uh, Plotinus, a uh, neoplatonical thinker, uh, that in the, in, in the center of uh, uh, the rational thought uh, lays, lies uh, the madness. So uh, the rationality is the product of irrationality. So there is the, some, some inner irrationality that uh, manifests itself through the rational activity and we need to keep the balance so uh, when we uh, stress too much rational aspect so uh, or this uh, rationality becomes paranoid so we we uh, we reject so much everything that is irrational or uh, intuitive or mystical, so we get mad uh, as uh, mad scientists, for example, and we we lose uh, the, 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 what is good, what is bad. We are uh, too, uh, being too engaged in the rationality results in losing any rationality. Result results in the post-rational madness. Uh, when we mm, try to uh, to stress on the other side everything that is in the kind of uh, psychological and uh, emotional, uh, not clear, so we become as well invalid uh, and kind of Gandhi uh, uh, persons. So because without rationality, uh, we as we. Uh, we as well uh, become uh, uh, irrational. So uh, th th there should be kind of balance. For myself, uh, I, I have made many efforts and uh, I think uh, with some positive and successful efforts to say the same thing in the mystical language, in the um, academic, philosophical or scientific language. And I have succeeded in, in that easily because it is a mystical or a rational approach, uh, are not alternative. Uh, they uh, from, for example, in the Middle Ages, that was clear for for everybody. So, uh, some the same authors dedicated their treaties to the minerals, to the stones, to the chemical. Uh, 
reactions, on transformations, and the same authors wrote about the angels, about uh, intellectual um, uh, essences uh, on, on the same breath. So uh, mysticism is necessarily an element of human human being. So uh, and uh, uh, just balance between um, um, mystic and rational that we need that that was always that was always for example Heidegger starts starts uh, with purely academic philosophical tradition phenomenology and little by little he 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 arrives uh, at the point when his language is uh, almost the same as the great mystic of uh, um, uh, of Tauler or Soiza uh, or um, um, Eckhart or Novalis and his love uh, to poetry. It is precisely his uh, uh, betrays a kind of his huge attraction to uh, mysticism. So uh, most uh, most rational persons were as well the most most radical mystics. So uh, I don't uh, think that uh, when it uh, um, puts uh, or limit the mysticism in some special situation, mysticism is the part of the rationality and rationality is the part of the mystical and sacred um, form. So uh, that was why, for example, studying archaic society, uh, I was totally, totally satisfied with knowledge of their myths. Uh, if I know the myth of, of some society, if I know the logic of this myth, I could clearly and easily, more or less easily, de deduce from it rational uh, version. If the rationality is open to the mysticism, if uh, rationality doesn't despise uh, mysticism, but accept that as legitimate form of thought. So we we could uh, we could think on both level uh, at the same time. So materialism, materialism, it is quite opposite. So uh, in in order to get to such understanding of uh, mystical dimensional of the thought, we need to sacrifice materialism. So we need to sacrifice the nihilism uh, of, of, of the spirit. We should recognize the kind of autonomy or sovereignty of the thought, of the spirit, of the subject. And that is very important. But for me, being uh, not, not being materialist, uh, and uh, that is quite easy. Uh, so uh, I don't think that uh, I am too mystical, for example. Just I use the language that many Russian, almost all Russian philosophers used. If we read Solovyov, Florensky, Bulgakov, Berdyaev, uh, it is very, very common to, to Russian to mix these uh, ways of, of thought without opposing them, without denying uh, the legitimacy of rationality. Uh, and my son, with whom uh, sometimes uh, uh, we discuss many things, he has uh, accused me recently uh, of, uh, two, uh, of defense of Two, two great defense of rationality. And he has said, you are uh, 
you are defending, you are promoting re-enlightenment because the liberal rationalism and modern relationism is now and it's the final stage of marismatic, uh, uh, marismatic uh, irrationality as we see. So uh, rationality is abandoned by everybody and it is to us, traditionalists or mystics, to save rationality because we don't we have nothing against rationality we just need to put the rational rational qualities and logical procedures and uh, normal academic scientific uh, way of th of thought in the just proportions in the normal limits and these limits were uh, uh, overcome with the modernity. Modernity uh, pretending to be exclusively rational and anti-mystical uh, in the same measure uh, began to lose its rational aspect. And now when we see uh, as main academic uh, philosophy some crazy, clearly crazy, clinical uh, crazy peoples of, uh, among uh, postmodernists or uh, critical realists who are just junkie, uh, purely schizophrenic persons, and and they and they are very proud to 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 be there, perverted schizophrenic, junkie, um, um, uh, deploring their their their, their incapacity uh, to 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 save rationality and don't uh, hiding their hatred for. Rationality that is a kind the result of the excessive overestimation of the rationality itself. So uh, I think rationality is is something uh, valuable and something uh, interesting, important, and uh, it should be saved against liberals that they that uh, who and with their system of education that uh, became really crazy in the last uh, last decades and the last period. So uh, 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 being too much uh, rational, that leads to kind of irrationality. And to have the sane, uh, sane portion of symbolical vision or the metaphysical attitude that helps to save rationality. Uh, my son has accused me to be the founder of this uh, re-enlightenment or traditionalist enlightenment uh, process and to betray the chaos and uh, this irrationality of some of my uh, early writings. One thing I was wondering whether you could address your I think best um, known among the disciplines that you work on, probably for geopolitics, philosophy increasingly, political theory, certainly, ethnosociology when the book came out. But I noticed in the last year or two that you've had some involvement with the theater in Russia. And I was wondering if you could say a little bit about what your project is in and around the theater. Uh, you are totally right. So uh, some years ago, I've started. I always was uh, attracted by theater. I I have read some some articles about theater. I I uh, had uh, friends as uh, uh, some directors of theaters and artists uh, during all my life. So I was always always attracted by it. But um, two years ago, when my friend Eduard Bayakov was appointed 
to be director of the main national uh, Russian Moscow theater that is called MHAT, uh, Moscow Academical uh, Art uh, Theater, MHAT, the main, uh, founded by Stanislavsky and Nemirovich Danchenko. It is uh, number one uh, uh, after Bolshoi. Uh, um, so it is uh, number two. Uh, 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 among dramatical theaters, number one. But uh, it is famous Russian theater, and I have started there the, the cycle of lectures dedicated to the uh, ontology and anthropology of the theater. So uh, step by step, we have uh, decided with Eduard Boyakov, this uh, director of the theater, a famous famous director and founder of Golden Mask Prize in Russia. And we have started new school of MHAT, new school of theater. And I have just finished the first, first master class, one year of master education dedicated to theater. So I have uh, uh, elaborated the program for this revolutionary education, not exactly anti-liberal, but uh, without any any regard to the uh, laws of tolerance that uh, liberals uh, try to, impl uh, to impose on us by violence. That is the free uh, free education, uh, really free education, so you could have your own idea, liberal or, or not. But if you say to liberals that someone has the right, legitimate right, to, to be illiberal, you are immediately done. You stop. That's, uh, that's everything. Everything is said, so you are criminal, you should be cancelled, censored, and killed by them. Because if you accept the very possibility that you can, there, there can exist something illiberal, so you are doomed. But uh, being in Russia, it is not so so violent yet. Maybe we could stay a little longer here. And I have uh, put the principles of the real freedom of thought in this school. So uh, it is uh, not political, absolutely. That is about theater. And... Uh, my idea was to to uh, to get to the roots of the theater, to dramatic, tragical uh, art, uh, not only follow following uh, Nietzsche, but coming to the roots of the Greek tragedy, and um, exploring more and more the roots of the tragedy. I have discovered so many interesting things that, for example, um, theater and the tragedy. Uh, has given to Christian culture not only external aspects of art or some some uh, some music and so on, but the the main message of the uh, pre-Christian uh, tragical uh, theater was the suffering of the. A uh, human divine being, the suffering imposed by these two natures, to na the, uh, the divine nature and human nature, and this mixture of the hero, what I'm calling now hero logic, hero, hero, uh, elogy, hero elogy, uh, the, uh, the logic, uh, hero, uh, hero elogy. 
a royalogy, a royalogy. Uh, that is neologism neo, neo um, in Russia as well, geroyologia. It, uh, it is the vision when in the center of the structure of the society, of, of, of something, of the events, of the presentation, is put not human, neither human nor uh, divine creature. The creature of mixture nature and trying to get to the uh, roots of this um, uh, of the Greek tragedy, uh, I am uh, dealing with the ac actors and actresses. Uh, studying, some of them are professional or already. Some of uh, uh, some of them just begin their 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 uh, career uh, in the theater. Uh, together, we we started to revival revival this um, tragical original uh, being of the of the theater, the the being of the theater, ontology of the. Of, of the theater that was hidden uh, during the history of the theater. It is uh, uh, my idea is to get to, to the essence of, of what th uh, theater was and is in its uh, eternal, eternal uh, type uh, as something uh, the, uh, the um, philosophical theater or theater of eternity. And uh, I, 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 uh, I just uh, uh, have finished. Uh, uh, the, the first uh, first acquaintance with uh, um, uh, Aeschylus, uh, Euripid, uh, and uh, uh, Sophocles, and uh, my um, students, they try to 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 embody uh, the archetypes uh, of the classical Greek author, and that for them was totally new experience. They never, never had any sub, uh, sus, sus, suspect that theater can be such, that it is about such huge spiritual and metaphysical um, experience, inner experience, transformative experience. And for them, there's something more than, than just art or just profession that is becoming for them the new, uh, discovery of new dimension of uh, of life because we have uh, as well remarked with my friend Eduard Bayakov that most of not only artists don't understand what they 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 they, they pronounce they say on the scene that many directors don't understand what was about in the is heel in the in the pieces dramatic pieces they try to represent they try to pervert they try to 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 uh, uh, give some individual and new uh, iconoclastic uh, reading for the uh, for the theater it is possible but not by the price to lose the the being of the theater. So you, if you are a genius, you could make improvisation as in jazz. But if you idiot that doesn't understand what is it all about, it is not improvisation. That, that is very, very, uh, very. Uh, that is a pity. It is something shameful, I think. So uh, we could uh, transform classical, uh, classical themes in something different but we need for to do that 
incorrect way to understand the depth of the tragedy. We, uh, we need to understand the depths of any any word, any term used by Schiller's or a repeat, a context, theology of Greek world vision. So religious vision, ethical vision, we need to understand what is all about, what that was all about. And only with that we could transpose or transfer, translate the real strategy into our worlds. Maybe that will be totally new, and that will be for sure. But in order to create something new, we need to understand what what uh, was uh, in the beginning. So beginning in the strategy, strategy, strategy is uh, as well important as the beginning in the philosophy. For me, these three great tragical poets, they are almost the same, they have the same role as uh, Plato and Aristotle. You said something just now that I think will be helpful to people who are reading or rereading the fourth political theory. It's a point that comes up in the course I'm doing on the book, which is where you look at the postmodern, post-human, confused, genderless, android, robot type. In other words, the uh, man at the end of history, post-man. And when you raise the question about how to oppose or what to oppose to the post-human, you don't say that we need to reassert a past form of humanity. We don't need to reassert some previous configuration of what it is to be human, but rather, and this must be strange to people who are reading the text for the first time, you say that we need to have recourse to a non-human being. And you mentioned there that angel. And something that jumped out to me when I was reading those passages is that you say the angel is neither human nor divine. And now what you just said in this answer about the theater as well is that there's this something which is neither human nor divine that comes through on the stage, that comes through the actors, and that comes through the whole performance and production. So if people are trying to get a hold on what it might mean to talk about a non-human, non-divine angel in the context of political post-anthropology and political anthropology, what you said about the theater is a very enticing and interesting connection. Exactly, exactly. That interest of fourth theater is not casual. It's just a kind of uh, um, inner growth of some... Uh, some uh, philosophical uh, ideas. You are right, and that is very important. That uh, when we regard this passage from last humans to the new robots with last humans' eyes, and that is not enough. If uh, when we do that, we just poor and innocent and totally, totally power, powerless um, conservators, uh, conservatives. We, we, could not we could not afford nothing. We could just, just observe how they transform uh, us into, uh, into the post-humans and to deplore that. That's already something to deplore, to say, oh, how... How, how powerful this uh, conspiracy elite uh, are and so on, transforming us in, in the uh, COVID uh, 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 prisoners and after that in the totally, uh, totally uh, controlled uh, post-human uh, post objects. But I think that is uh, um, this situation that is absolutely eschatological, I agree, that is 
the radical, radical, the, the loss of the, the the last loss of the human, uh, hum, uh, humankind, uh, mankind of its humanity. Uh, but that is as well the new new possibility, new horizon that is open, and that is not uh, anymore about uh, human. Human cannot save themselves uh, in that situation. Uh, they need something else. But uh, we should we should uh, hope on God. But we should uh, uh, we should do that in an active way, and we could overcome uh, us we could strive to get outside uh, uh, in the in 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 the direction of god we could not be sure that is wrong there is this right direction maybe it is wrong but we should get out of this uh poor human or last human conditions and uh, uh ex exactly we need some new figure new type new gestalt in order to to be active, to be conscious, to be uh, prepared to to participate in the mystery of the end, the mystery of the uh, lawlessness, uh, but um, and, and it is very very difficult for normal normal people because normal people are too uh, too much engaged. In what they consider to be natural, natural uh, destiny, or something that is inevitable, something objective, natural, and so on. But it is not this constructed. But in order to awake to this uh, uh, alter, this artificial nature of this catology that is man-made or or uh, evil angels made reality so but it is artificially made reality and it, if it is made if the facts are something that is made in latin uh, if someone has made these facts we could make other facts alternative facts and these alternative facts should be done with this uh with this leap to something more than the the, the human uh, uh human weeping about their destiny in the globalist uh elite dominated uh, uh world we we should be uh, we should be joyful. We should follow Nietzsche as well. We should uh, we should uh, dance and fight and not uh, uh, and not uh, only weep about our our poor destiny. Yes, the destiny is very tragic, m much much more hor horrible than uh, many uh, most of us uh, presume. But that is not reason to. To, uh, that is one of the reasons to get more and more excited, I would say. Professor Alexander Dugan, we've had a chance today to go over the philosophical dimension of your project, the educational side of your project, and perhaps we could leave it for another conversation, your view on practical geopolitics, on various hot-button issues in American and world politics. I wanted to give our listeners and myself a chance to learn more about the big picture of your thinking as it concerns mysticism and theater, your various other books. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your work. And I hope to have you back on the show again. 
Uh, thank you. Yeah, welcome and thank you, dear Michael, for being so strong among uh, people who are interested in my ideas and, still, and stay strong in the, your freedom. You can choose everything. So uh, I think that is most admirable feature to be free. When the people is when you are free with everybody agree with you and you agree with them, it's not the freedom. Freedom always is a kind of effort. And thank you very much for everything you have done to promote uh, uh, interest for my ideas for fourth political theory and other topics. Thank you. All right, everybody. This is Professor Alexander Dugan. Read his books. Listen, listen to his lectures. There's a lot to learn. There's an endless amount to learn, and it's worth it more than anything. Thanks very much for watching. Goodbye. Bye-bye.